Welcome to the RZ Podcast, a space for anyone looking to embrace the finer life. So welcome back to the Real Talk, Real Zetas podcast. I'm Sienna Abdullahad, and I'm here with one of my favorite soars in higher education, Michelle Gobadia. Good morning, soar. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited that Real Zetas is back in the space. Yeah, we're excited too. So secretly, you are definitely one of my favorite sorors in the higher ed space, and I don't know if you've known that, but there's two of y'all. There's you, and there's Dr. Kelly Dixon. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. She's a dope soror too. So she's she's a secret favorite of mine too. But it's a pleasure to have you on and finally get to connect with you in person. It's been a while. So I'm happy to see your face, even though folks around us can't see you. I'm glad I get to see you this morning. Likewise, likewise. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing. And I know you've been in the field as a national expert on hazing for a long time. Um, but what are, you, what are you up to now? So still here at in Charlotte. So I'm the director of fraternity and story life at UNC Charlotte. That's the day job. Been here 15 years. It's awesome. Uh, students are great. We're thriving. So it's been really good professionally for me to be here and be in one space and create, you know, culture change at an institution. And I'm still a speaker with the Catalyst Agency. My focus area is still being uh, hazing prevention, recruitment for culturally based organizations and leadership fraternities and sororities. So still doing that. Uh, didn't actually cut down during the pandemic, actually ramped up, which was weird. Um, but it's, it's still great topics to be talking at. Uh, and then speaking across the country. Uh, so that has been good as well. Besides that, all is well, sis. Uh, happy, healthy, uh, living, thriving, uh, and excited to start a new year. Well, it's, it's great to get a chance to connect with you, but 15 years is a long time, particularly at the same institution. So you've <clears> seen <throat> a number of generations come through. Um, what's, what's new about today's undergrad in fraternity and sorority life? What's fun about being at the same school for a long time, I have former students who are now chapter advisors. Uh, and, and those students who come to me as chapter advisors saying, you know what, you might have been right <laughs> back when you told us to do X, Y, and Z or moving this way or you repeated stuff to us because we find ourselves doing the same thing with our current chapters. The unique thing about being in one space for this long, you get to see the evolution. And as much as things have changed, a lot of things have stayed the same. Our students are still struggling with marketing their organization and recruitment. They're still struggling with hazing and behavior issues. And that is all compounded by social media. That is compounded by what's going on in the world today. That is compounded by freedom of expression and DEI work uh, and how that's looking in our organizations and things that maybe you or I, sister, didn't have to deal with. As undergrads, they are dealing with on a bigger stage times 100. And sometimes I'm a little bit sad because undergrads, both fraternities and sororities are not always getting the resources they need, particularly from our own organizations to deal with the issues at hand. You know, we're not addressing uh, mental illness in a real tangible way. What does it look like when a brother or sister is sad and not coming to things and having ideation? What does it look like when a brother or sister is struggling with their identity? or coming out or wanting to be their authentic selves and gender expression. So we haven't done a great job keeping up with education 
from a national perspective. I think as a campus professional, that is my gaze upon all national organizations. The universities, we definitely try to do our best to give students the resources, but there are different nuances uh, in the different organizations. And what does that look like in aligning with the brand of the organization, the programmatic thrusts of the organization, and really the direction those organizations are moving in. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, you talked about education, particularly around things like mental health and, and really being able to be in tune with what's happening with today's emerging adults. As a higher ed professional, I know it's it's different, right? We had in local parentis years ago, back when our founders started our, our organizations, and there was this kind of hovering that, you know, professionals do when they're able to offer guidance and support. Yeah. It was different. And now I feel like the pandemic has kind of get, make, made that full circle for us. And we're back in a space where we feel like we have to be paying attention more, but there's so many spaces that you have to be in in order to keep up with what's going on with today's undergraduate student. And they're, they're no different when they're leaders as undergraduates in our organizations, but they tend to carry some different burdens. Have you noticed anything unique as it relates to sorority life on your campus or sorority life at the national level today? Yeah, I, I think you make a valid point about having to be kind of in it with your undergrads. There is a lack of institutional history for our chapters because of COVID. That kind of created kind of a dead space in our organizations because people moved on and the things that were usually passed down weren't. So this kind of new type of how to be Greek has emerged. And I've seen that really being prevalent, particularly in our sororities, on what are the unsaid rules of like, hey, we're going to go to this party on campus here are the songs we stroll to, here are the songs we don't stroll to, like, here's how we're going to, to act, or if this person gives you an issue, this is what we're going to do, and a lot of uh, our students are really finding their way through the dark, because they don't have that. I think also some of that institutional knowledge on how do we do our week, how do we do this program, how do we do intake, that's sometimes missing as well, so as advisors, you really need to be locked in step with the undergrads, and holding their hands, and almost baby birding them feeding them the the intricacies and the, the step-by-steps, which can be painful. It can be painful as an advisor because you're like, oh my God, do I need to really walk you how to like reserve a room? And mm-hmm. it's painful for the undergrads because they have a sense of autonomy and independence that they gained during the COVID years, right? Everything was Zoom, asynchronous work. So they're like, don't tell me what to do, but I also don't know how to do it. And then we have advisors who are like, I need to tell you how to do this because it has to be done a certain way. And why do I have to tell you how to do this? So we've seen that a lot come up and that struggle. I've said this for many years, our sororities are intergenerational. There are many different generations in one organization and we don't all communicate the same. We don't all act the same. And our vision for the sorority is different. While the values are the same, that's foundational, that's concrete. But how we wanna move as a sorority woman is different. And when you have intergenerations, you know, as old as 70 years in the organization to two weeks in the organization, you're going to have differences. We're going to have that. We're going to have conflict and we need better ways of communication across that. So I've seen that not only in in Zeta, but in all of the sororities that we advise here. And and as I travel around the country speaking, those become like the pain points we're seeing a lot of. Yeah, I I would say social media really made it clear that the the different generations are now more salient. Like you can see that there's that spread. I mean, and also being a part of it, when I started on Facebook, 
in other spaces in social media. I was younger. I was in college, right? And so having those conversations was, you don't know what you're talking about, old head. Like you, you, have, you don't have no idea what mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what I'm going through on my campus or whatever the case may be. And now I'm kind of the older, I'm not gonna say old head yet, because <laughs> there's some folks older than me. But you get to that space where you're like, oh my goodness, I'm the one telling them they need to get it together. I'm the one that's like, oh, you really like weak on this deference thing. And there's some things that you don't know. And I think it's just very different to see how the undergraduate experience has shifted, but also how all the generations engage with one another and the differences in how your process, right? How you come into the organization is also different based off the generation that you came in through. And it's it's starting to manifest at the at, at another level where you see how people conduct themselves in professional spaces is different. The way that we really present in certain spaces, and I think we're in an era now that feels very much like the the dandy era, right? Where it was like people are dressing for the ground, they're dressing for TikTok, they're they're just elevating how they're presenting themselves or they're really, really public about how they're presenting themselves. And so they're always on. And then you have folks who aren't always on and they feel like they're somehow maybe a little bit inadequate or not up to the standard. So you don't see them as much or you don't engage with them as much, but you also don't seek out the advice from those individuals as much because of their their lack of kind of being out there in public. So it is, it is interesting to see how social media has kind of shifted the way our generations work. There's also more generations on social media now. So it's, it's interesting to see, you know, members of organizations who are in their 60s and 70s now that are, they're on social media and they're engaging in the conversations and they're out here. So you can seek them out for, for advice and information, but you really just don't know that that person is that age. I'm always surprised by how many sororers I see online and I'm like, oh, she's 67. I, I can really go and get some, some real embellishment here. Like mm -hmm. I can really go and learn something but would have never known because the picture might be a little bit older or, you know, the conversation and the way that they're engaging feels like they're right along with us. So it is interesting to see that, that shift over time. To kind of pivot a little bit, you have been at UNC Charlotte for 15 years. You've been in yeah. the field for a while. You've really developed yourself as a national expert across fraternity and sorority life and in all the councils. You're sitting on the board of, of a national organization. You're also holding positions in Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. So you're wearing a lot of hats and you're doing a lot of things, but you also have developed an amazing brand over time. What advice do you have for folks that are trying to build their brand and kind of develop themselves regardless of the field that they're in, but especially young women who are trying to really solidify who they are as it relates to the world that we live in today. Absolutely. Uh, and I appreciate you. Thank you, Sora, for, for saying all those really nice things about me. As people talk about me, sometimes I say like, who is she talking about? Like, I don't know who that person is. Um, but there are a couple of things and there probably is four points that I have probably adhered to over uh, the trajectory of my career and being in our sorority that have really helped me evolve. Um, and the first one is, is know your craft, know, know your craft and know it better than anyone else. I think as women, particularly women of color, we were always told that we have to be better than the next person to get ahead. And Lord knows that's playing out in, in the media right now in news, but there's one thing to be better and a whole other thing to know your craft. There are a lot of people who do fraternity and sorority life work in the country. 
I want to be the best person that does it, right? I don't want to just be a good average director of Greek life. I want to be known as one of the best directors of Greek life. So knowing your craft is, is huge. I When I speak, people will say, she knows what she's talking about. They don't need to go fact check it. They'll be like, mm, I don't know about that. You need to know your craft so well that people see you as an authority in that subject matter. Uh, and, and you have to practice at that. I read a lot. I read a lot of articles. I read studies done by various people across councils. I attend a lot of conferences. I listen more than I speak. I ask questions. I seek out some of the old heads of, of wisdom in our field, outside our field. I talk to lawyers, lawyers who do this work, lawyers that don't do this work. Uh, so that has all helped in my knowledge set of, of knowing my craft. When people are like, what are you an expert in? I can say with confidence, these are the areas. I'm not going to pretend I know something that I don't, which is my second point is stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Know what you, you are doing, what your brand is, what your identity is, what your, your knowledge base is, and stay in that lane. That doesn't mean you shouldn't evolve and learn other things. But when somebody calls my agent, be like, hey, we want Michelle to come speak about diversity at XYZ school. Don't let the black fool you. I don't do diversity work. That is not where I've studied. That is not where my knowledge base is. Could I pull off a Kwanzaa program? Sure. But diversity work is not, not my, my, my ministry, right? So I immediately tell my agent, here are three people you should suggest to them, right? I, I always know this is the person you should call. This person knows it better than me. They know it better than anyone. But I have to stay in my lane. I think those of us who are trying to do a lot of different things in a lot of different areas, that doesn't always go well. And that also leads to, to failure, right? So I think it's really important that you stay in your lane of knowledge while learning and evolving, but know what you know and don't pretend like you, you know something else. I think the, the third thing is be aware. Be aware of how you come off and be aware of, of who you are. Um, that, that is hard for people. I think that's very hard for Zetas. <laughs> uh, about being who you are when you step in the room and being aware of that, how you talk, how you deliver things. I recognize that I am born and raised from New York. I am direct and to the point, but I'm also kind. I, I don't seek to embarrass people in front of others. Um, I take criticism well, and I'm aware of how I can come off to people. And because of that, I temper and tone who I'm talking to, what space I'm talking to, even down to the state right? My keynote changes from school to school. A private liberal arts school is getting a different keynote than a large state school, right? Those are two different types of students. It's still me, but I am aware of the audience. I aware, I'm aware of the energy and I'm aware of the conversation that needs to be had. And I think that goes a long way within our sorority. When I'm talking to advisors, when I'm talking to undergrads, that, that changes up. There, there's a code switching that happens just in the sorority on who I'm talking to. And sometimes I need to get on the level of who's in the room. And you mentioned the word earlier, there's a level of deference when I'm talking to national officers, people who are older than me, people who've been in the sorority longer than I, and being aware of that. And I think there's probably too many people who are not self-aware and they, they don't change or navigate the space or people or occasions at all. And it's just this one track of who they are and that will not serve you well if you're trying to create a brand. You wanna be palatable to a lot of different people, but you can also still be yourself, which is probably my fourth thing is, is really being you. Do you and be you. Uh, and I've never deviated from who I am. I joined Zeta as an opportunity to give back to my community for the rest of my life. I never joined for the party. 
the social events. I never joined for any of like the glitter. I did not join to step. I did not join to stroll. Like none of that. I am. There's an opportunity for me to serve. There's an opportunity for me to give money. That that's why I'm here, and that has not changed in 23 years. That has, that has not changed, and people laugh about that. My grad chapter says I'm antisocial because I'm never at the social events ever. And when I show up, they're like, "Sora Gavadia, you've blessed us with your presence." I'd be like, "I know, I know. I'm doing it because there's a service component attached to this, but I wouldn't be here otherwise." But I've authentically stayed who I am. I'm also not the glamour girl. I hate getting dressed up. I hate putting on makeup. I hate doing my hair. You would catch me in sweatpants all the time. But I also recognize I joined Zeta Phi Beta. So I need to learn how to be me in those spaces that require me to get dressed, put on the robe, put on the makeup, beat the hair, and make sure the brand of my sorority is represented. Because the brand of the, the sorority is not always my personal brand. And I think sometimes people get mixed in that. And if I want to have a presence in my sorority space or in the fraternity life space, I need to elevate to that, to that brand. And I think being you is important, but also recognizing what does Michelle Gabadia look like in a space of Zeta, in a space of MPHC, in a space of UNC Charlotte. And those are still authentically me, but it's also elevating to the stature and the occasion and the brand of that space. So those are probably the four things that have really helped me and guided my career and, and really my Zeta journey as well. Well, you touched on a whole lot. Um, I know we are going to have to reconnect sometime. I think the four points that you raised as far as really solidifying your brand um, are, are really, really impactful. And I think it's been proven that it's working, right? It's, it's developed into a space where you are seen as a, an expert in your, your craft, but also a very good representative of our organization. And so you're representing us on so many different platforms on a, a very important issue. It's one of those things that, that matters in, in mm-hmm. regards to if there is such a large group of, of, of folks that are paying attention to social media, right? A large group of individuals that are paying attention to the brand that both the brand that's being curated and the brand that's being forced upon, right? There's there's a need to have folks who have these four critical pieces and are really intentional about developing themselves um, over time. And I, I think you definitely nailed it in regards to the idea of like, I can be myself and be authentically me. And at the same time, know when I'm in an environment, read the room and, and make sure that I'm meeting the expectations of the room that I'm in. And I Absolutely. think that is a really golden, golden gem for people to Absolutely. take with them. I was in a documentary for hazing in the fall. Brian Hurst did a hazing documentary, which is fantastic. Uh, and I was honored when he asked me to be in it. And I wore, uh, I purposely didn't wear blue, right? Uh, and the documentary came out and I had Sore Wars DM me and say, Sore, glad yeah, we saw the documentary, you were great, but I'm disappointed that you didn't wear blue, that you weren't representing the sorority. And I, my response to that was, I wasn't in that documentary representing Zeta. I was representing myself as a subject matter expert in this field of hazing. And it was more important that people heard what I said as opposed to see me on the screen and be like, oh, she's a Zeta. And, and, and push the entire experience through that one lens. So I try to show up very neutral in spaces like that, still myself. And I knew that at the bottom of the screen, they would have put my affiliation, right? I don't have to show up. I, same thing, I, I got feedback about 
why don't you present in blue when you go present at other sororities? Because I need people to forget that I'm a Zeta and know that I'm an expert. Like it, because sometimes people have blockers and they won't hear what I have to say because they will put me immediately into like, well, she's in this sorority and this is her experience. So I can't learn anything from her. So I, I purposely wear neutral colors when I present and speak to non-Zeta audiences. And that like shocks people, but it, it, I can still rep being a, a member of Zeta Phi Beta. I actually mention it in most of my keynotes, but I mention it and then I move away from it. So you can listen to the, the material and gain something as opposed to sitting in the audience as a member of XYZ fraternity sorority, be like, well, you know, she's in that group. So I don't, I, I don't want to hear her because we do that with people all the time. And, and, and that is in learning your brand, again, recognizing the space and how do I like excel to that space so people can hear me instead of make assumptions about me. Yeah, definitely. I, I think from my perspective and, and focusing on being in higher ed and constantly having people be shocked that I am a Zeta. I literally had to go buy more paraphernalia more recently to where to work because people are like, you're a Zeta? And I'm like, I am. And as I sit here in pink and green, but that's just because I look good in pink and green. That doesn't mean <laughs> that I right. have to, you know, only wear certain colors at certain times. But I, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to being able to frame break or at least reframe mm -hmm. for people that, you know, I, I can be more than one thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's important to hear what I'm bringing to the table and hear what I'm saying and process it from a space of perspective taking, right? And, and yeah. from a space of empathy, rather than trying to do that from a space of division or from a space of difference. And sometimes that's sure. really hard for us. Um, for sure. I definitely experienced some of that in my journey in, in higher education. And I think I, I've gotten more intentional, interestingly enough, about trying to wear blue when I'm in certain spaces, only because it's it's getting to a point now for me where I'm seeing so much of the the hostility, I think, that comes towards our organization that mm. I don't want there to be a doubt. Right. I, I'm at a point now where I'm like, I don't I don't want you to doubt that I'm a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. And at the same time, when I'm speaking, I don't want you to only put me in that box. And for so sure. it's trying to balance that out. And I do think that can be that can be a challenge for a lot of people. But I think you definitely have navigated that with grace or as we should say in a finer way in regards to how you're communicating that to other people but it, it also goes back to that being yourself and that intent you know when you go into a space how you're going to be perceived and as you said down to the state it's different um, the Correct. different demographics in the room kind of shape how you approach the conversation and I definitely will be checking out this uh, documentary. I heard it. Um, it came out uh, last year. Well, yeah, last, last fall. Yeah, 22 in the fall. It was great. He did a great job. He's a member of Omega Sci-Fi. And okay. I mean, no shade to Omega Sci-Fi, but I was just shocked how well that it was. I was like, a cute Uh But he's a great filmmaker. And uh, I think his 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 cousin is also a soror. And she makes an appearance in the documentary too. But just really great looking at hazing from a different lens. And it's just well done. Well done. He's, it's been shown so many places. Zeta has partnered and showed it, I think, in, in the Eastern region together. So he's, it's, a, it's a great doc if you have time to see it. Thank you. I'll definitely check it out. It's always interesting to connect with soars, especially when they're, they're in the work on a daily basis, connecting yeah. with students on a daily basis, and also developing other leaders on a daily basis. So thank you for the work that you do 
specifically as it relates to to hazing, but also as it relates to mentoring and developing other women. Awesome. Thank you, sis. Appreciate that. I received that in the manner in which it was given. 2024, I'm trying to take compliments and receiving that instead of be like, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. So thank you. I received that. Well, thank you and have a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah, you too, friend. Have a great weekend. Happy New Year.